David Inquire, thank you. Thank you so very much. Uh, keyboard people, instruments, cat, thank you, lady. We do as David. I, I would like just to reiterate what David has said. Um, we appreciate all those whom the Lord has so graciously brought to Wake Chapel to bless us with music and their faithful ministry to all of us. For just a moment, would you take your pew Bible, please, and turn with me to John 14. These, I really don't know whether I would say that Psalm 23 or John 14, uh, best known, whatever. Either way, uh, this is an extremely familiar passage of Scripture. John chapter 14, I'll give you a moment to turn there. I ask that we use the Pew Bible so that we will all be reading the same text. I would like for us to read three verses together. John 14, verses 1 to 3. In honor of the reading of the Word of God, would you stand with me, please? John 14, verses 1 to 3, reading together. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. God always blesses the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, this is the Lord's day, and we are gathered together in Your house, and we belong to You. Thank You for all of those. And now we come to open the Word of God. And we pray for that ministry of God the Holy Spirit to our hearts. We need to hear from heaven. We live in a sin-stained world, and it rubs off on us, Lord. Speak to our hearts this morning. Encourage us. Help us to glory and to rejoice in what you have in store for those that know you and love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The world seems to me to be so preoccupied with the left and the right that it has forgotten there is an above and below. For those of us gathered within these walls this morning, I want to remind us and hopefully stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance of the above and below. And I want to do that by just raising some questions. Uh, 
Some of them we will attempt to answer. Some of them we can't. First of all, is heaven real? Is heaven real? Or is it simply a a state of the mind? And if it is a place, what kind of a place is it? And if it is a place, where is it? God has not seen fit in His Word to answer all of our questions and all of our curiosities. There are questions and there are specific details that we would like to know. But again, I say God has not been pleased to answer all of our curiosity. And yet, Jesus talked about heaven. Therefore, we should talk about heaven. We talk about everything else. What do you find yourself speaking about most often? This past week, I ventured to say the weather was pretty high on the chart. But Jesus talked about heaven. Speaking about life on this earth, the Apostle Paul said he had a desire to depart and to be with Christ. And then he said, which is far better? And that wasn't a question, by the way. That was a statement, which is far better? Again, I say Jesus talked about heaven. Paul talked about heaven. Other New Testament writers talked about heaven. And there's much in the Old Testament about heaven as well. In fact, someone, I I trust they used a concordance, but someone counted the references to the word heaven in the Bible. And they recorded for us that there were 559 times the word heaven is used in the Bible. We need to talk about heaven. We need to think about heaven. It needs to be part of our life, part of our everyday living and thinking. When you take a trip, maybe you're gone for vacation for two weeks, maybe you go out of the country for a month or whatever. When you get on the plane or get in the car or whatever, start home, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about home. Thinking about home. My wife gets all over me because once I start home, I don't stop. That's unkind of me, and I know that. But I want to go home. Do you feel that way about heaven? We are on a journey home. We're going home. You thinking about it? Or does everything else in this world crowd in and take up our quote-unquote thinking space? You think about heaven? What in the world was wrong with the Apostle Paul if we think there was something wrong with him, when he said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. I suggest there was not anything wrong with the Apostle Paul, and there was everything right with him. This world is not our home. We've got a better home, and we're headed there. I want to begin by suggesting to you that heaven is a place. I raised the question a moment ago. Is it a place? Is it a place? Is it real? Answer, yes. When we speak about heaven, we're speaking about something that is real. It's more than a figment of the imagination. It's more than merely a state of mind. Heaven is a real place. 
Now, there's a legitimate question that follows that to me. And the question is, how do we know that? We've never been there. We've never been there. Yet we call it home. We call it heaven. We have family members who are there. We have a Savior who died for us who's there. But none of us have ever been there. I want to suggest to you, I believe that heaven is real, and and I'll just give you three reasons, and then there's some confirming reasons I will add to that. First of all, I believe that heaven is real because the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. You know where he said that? First verse of the book. First verse, opening verse, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, listen to me. If we don't believe that heaven is real, if we believe it's a figment of our imagination or a state of mind, then why go any further with Genesis 1-2 through Revelation 22? If you're not going to believe the first verse, why believe the rest of it? The rest of it has no more validity or less validity than 1-1. God created the heavens and the earth. And I, I can't help but just add, thus endeth the epistle. That's all there is to it. It's a fact. God said it. It's a fact. No ifs, ands, buts, ors, or nors. That's the truth. Second reason I believe heaven is real is because Jesus Christ ascended from this earth with a resurrection body. And that leads me to the question, how can a body that was tangible here on this earth took up space here? How can that body not exist in a heavenly place? If there's no heaven, I don't think there's a satisfactory answer to that question. Third, I believe heaven is real because there are specific texts, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that speak of heaven that way as a real place. Some confirming expressions. Heaven is called a country in the Bible. And that term country speaks of the vastness of heaven. And we spoke about this a little bit last week. Excuse me. It's called a country. It's called a city. That's real. City speaks of the large number of people who will be there. It's called a kingdom. That's real. A kingdom tells us of God's rule and of orderliness. It's called paradise. That speaks of its delights. It's called the Father's house. To me, that speaks of permanency. Heaven a real place? Is it genuine? Or is it the wishful thinking of a delusional mind? My friends, I want to suggest to you very firmly, if anything at all that we know is real, then heaven is real. We should not think of heaven as some ghostly, indefinite, unknowable place. It's a real place, a place as literal and as concrete as the houses that we live in. When you left home this morning, that house was real, literal. Heaven is real. It's just as real as the town in which we reside. Heaven is just as real as the building where we are seated and worshiping. One more thought. <clears throat> 
And to me, it's a slam dunk already, but I, I could not help but include this in my thinking and in my notes. Jesus said, when he taught the disciples how to pray, you remember what he said? What did he say? Think of it. Our Father who art in a figment of our imagination. No. Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus believed in heaven. And he had come from there. Not only is heaven real, but it is a prepared place. We read this twice uh, in John 14. The interesting thing to me is, if you stop and think about it just a little bit, and and you can annotate more than I'm going to mention now, but uh, God never puts his people in an unprepared place. May I say that again? God never puts his people in an unprepared place. Just a couple of illustrations. God prepared the earth. You read Genesis 1. God prepared the earth. He created it. He prepared the earth. And just a few verses on over into the second chapter, who planted that garden for Adam and Eve? The Bible says God did. He planted the garden. He prepared a place for Adam and Eve. He also, if you just carry along in the Old Testament for a moment, he also prepared the promised land before he led the children of Israel into that place. Again, I say God never puts his people in an unprepared place. Think of it. It's just been rolling over in my mind all week. In only six days, the Lord created this universe. How long ago, and I'll not ask for a verbal response, but in your heart and mind, how long ago did Jesus say, I'm going to prepare a place for you? More than 2,000 years. I don't understand all that I'm saying to you. 2,000 years in preparation. God could speak and it would all be done is one of the first thoughts that come to my mind. But the Bible says God is preparing a place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It doesn't say I'm going to speak the words and it'll be done. I am going to prepare a place for you. Now, if he's been working on that for 2,000 years, what a place. Mull that one over for a little while. You know, and what we know about God gives us, I think, just an inkling of what heaven is going to be like. Uh, Can I take just an illustration or two about this? The Lord loves detail. Have you ever just taken a moment to look at the wings of a butterfly? God loves detail. Amazing, amazing. God loves color. When was the last time you just stopped and looked at a a sunrise or a sunset or rainbow? God loves color. He loves beauty. We talked last week about the jeweled foundation of the New Jerusalem. Beyond our wildest imagination. 
But you know, we talked last week about the outside, and we referred to one or two things, because after John finished unveiling the outside, the description of that magnificent city, he takes us inside. And I am, I was in preparation last week and again this week. I'm taken with two things that are not there. Two things. First of all, there's no sun or moon there. Imagine that. All that you learned in college and high school and wherever and have read about the sun, it will outlive its usefulness. So will the moon. No sun or moon there. The city will be illumined by the presence of God Almighty. He is the source of uncreated light. No need for sun or moon there. He is the light of the new Jerusalem. And second, there'll be no temple there. Now, when I first thought about that, uh, it seemed interesting to me to think that who wrote the book of Revelation? John did. John lived in a day in which the great cities were full of beautiful temples. Think about it. There's Herod's temple in Jerusalem. There was the temple of Athena on the Acropolis in Athens. There was the temple of Artemis or Diana located in the city of Ephesus. Beautiful, all but unimaginable temples. John lived in a day when there were great temples. But there's nothing about a temple in the New Jerusalem. I wonder why. There'll be no need for a great temple or any temple in the, in the New Jerusalem. The redeemed will live in the very presence of God himself and will look directly into his face and there'll be no veil in between. Is all this a dream? Is all this just wishful thinking? Pie in the sky and sweet by and by? No. God prepared a home and is preparing a place for those that know him and love him. So it's real. It is prepared. And heaven is a prepared place in a specific location. People have, from time immemorial, I suppose, asked, where's heaven? Where's heaven? And I, I think that's a legitimate question to ask. Where's heaven? <clears throat> well, generally, we think of heaven as being up. Am I right? Generally, we think of heaven as being up. But listen to me. We do that with good reason. Now, I don't know whether you know all the reasons or not, but one good reason is the Hebrew word for up or heights is shemaim. Shemaim. The ancient Hebrews and the early Christians considered heaven to be up, and with good reason. In Isaiah 66, we read, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. The image that you have is of a throne and a footstool. Up. The Bible says, Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. Do you remember that? Kings, Elijah went up 
into heaven. When Stephen in the New Testament was being martyred, the Bible says he looked up for strength. Paul says he was caught up into paradise in 2 Corinthians. Heaven is a prepared place. It's real. It's in a specific place. There's a book written by someone who has had some tough things, had some tough things in her life. I have read it. I've had it for a long time. She wrote it uh, for Lifeway Christian Bookstore. And it's a, a study course, really, on heaven, your real home, by Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, it was last reprinted in 99, but if you can get a copy of it, uh, you will do yourself a favor. Um, at one point here, she's got a great long list of the things, uh, and, and she adds to uh, what's in the book of Revelation about uh, no more crying, no more tears, and so on. And she's got a list of probably 30 things that won't be in heaven, and we won't want any of them in heaven. But there are a couple of paragraphs, if you will allow me. I just wanted to to read them because I love the way she ends them. Excuse me for just a moment. She begins this paragraph by saying the principle is the same when it comes to heaven. She had talked about that principle in the previous paragraphs. She says the negatives are used in order to show us the positive. On earth, we know all too well that the negatives are suffering, pain, and death. Show us their opposites, the positive side, and we shall have the best possible idea of that perfect state. For instance, there may be no moon, no marriage, no need to eat in heaven, as suggested in Revelation 21. But there also are some pretty good negatives that we can relate to in Revelation 21. No more sorrow, she adds. No more crying, no more pain, no more curse. And praise God, no more death. And then she says, Selah. Think of that. She goes on. We'd all admit that the sum of human misery on earth vastly outweighs the sum of human happiness. Then she quotes two verses of Scripture. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. David the psalmist expressed this in Psalm 55, 6, and 8. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. And then she adds this. Rick, you ready for this one? She says, I'm with Job and David. Get me out of here. A traveler journeying in the Swiss Alps kind of lost his way and came across a little boy. And he asked where a certain town was. The little boy replied, I've heard of the town. I don't know where it is. And then in just a moment he added, but I do know that people who go there 
go by this road. Now, you know where I'm going? We can't fix heaven on an astronomer's chart. But we can know that people who go there go by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way, folks. That's the only way. Getting ready for heaven means putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as personal Savior. One of my regrets is I don't feel like I have asked you folks enough times do you know Jesus as your Savior? And you know what? Thought came to me this week. I don't have too many more Sundays to do this. I ask you without apology. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Are you holding on to some spare tire? Well, I taught Sunday school for 15 years. Or I sang in the choir for 25 years. Or I took an offering for however many years I could walk. I mowed the churchyard. I was a trustee. Are you holding on to something else? If you should get to heaven... And Jesus says, listen to me now, if you should get to heaven and Jesus says to you, what gives you a right to come here? And you answer, because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Now, this is hyperbole or fanciful or whatever you want to call it. But just suppose for one second, Jesus said, that's not enough. What else? I want to know what you would say then. What would you say then? This is very chafer. The man was humanly the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary. Enormously gifted man. Loving man. Someone asked him this question one day. Lewis, if you got to heaven, you've been talking about heaven all your life. You've written a set of theology books if you got to heaven and Jesus said to you, what do you claim for entrance here? And you would answer him, because I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. Lewis, for just a moment, suppose that Jesus said to you then, Lewis, that's not enough. What else you got? Dr. Schaefer's answer was to the gentleman, I hope I would turn my back and walk off because I don't have anything else. I like that. So convinced of what was going to get him into heaven was faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that if Jesus said you got something else, he'd just turn and walk away. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? There's only two places, dear friend. Above and below. Left and right doesn't mean diddly. Think about heaven. Talk about heaven. Look forward to it. Really look forward to it. Pray with me.
Father, if the Bible is right and we believe it is with all of our hearts, then entrance into heaven is through faith, personal faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that everyone in the, within the sound of my voice would right now ask themselves the question, am I on my way to heaven? Have I trusted Jesus as my personal Savior? And further, if I were to die today, would I go to heaven? Lord, heaven's real. The truth is real. Jesus died for our sins. We can't pay that debt. There's nothing we have, nothing we could ever hold on to that would pay for our sins. Jesus paid it all. Speak to the heart of that one individual who's here this morning, who's not sure, maybe before they leave this place, in the quiet of their own heart, they say to you, thank you, Lord, for dying for me. Right now, I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Might there be someone here who has a question about how to trust Jesus? Might there be someone here who would like to publicly profess faith in Christ? You can do that where you sit. If you would like to make that profession public, I'll meet you here. Or if you have a question, I'll do my best to get an answer for you. Let's sing the last stanza. God bless your heart. Give you a good afternoon. And may the Lord in His grace return us to worship Him next Sunday morning. Hal Johnson's our deacon of the day. Hal comes to lead us in prayer. Then we'll sing, God be with you until we meet again. And then we'll go our way. Hal? Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we, we thank you so much for a wonderful time of worship today. Uh, we pray, Lord, that as we leave here today, we will be mindful of the mission field that is before us all. Father, please make um, each one of us aware of the opportunities to be a witness to the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, there are many issues that we as Christians <clears throat> need to pray about. And, and Lord, our church family needs to be especially mindful of our new building wing and our pastoral search committee. We pray, Lord, that you will fill all our classrooms with eager minds that want to know the truth of the gospel. And we need to pray for our five-member team that you have allowed us to put together that had the responsibility and the honor to choose our next pastor. Father, you know who our next pastor will be. So our prayer today is that the one you have chosen will be, will be made known to us. We pray for our mission of the week, House of Hope, located in Clayton, North Carolina, who help and assist hurting and troubled teenage girls between the ages of 12 and 17 and their families with solid Christian counseling in order to bring families back together. God in heaven, we pray these things in your holy name, and to you be the glory, honor, and praise. Amen.